0: You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Some of you will have noticed I've been, I want to continue a series that I've been doing today called The Outward Focused Church. And I just want to say this, this is, um, I only do a talk like this one once a year, and um, I do that quite deliberately. If you happen to have visited us today or this is your first time with us, um, I really want to just emphasize that because I want you to know this is part of a wider context and um, I speak in series and if you take a one-off standalone talk on its own, I think that's quite dangerous, but particularly so this week. I really want to emphasize that. So if you're hearing this as a one-off, please don't do that. Is, is probably really quite dangerous. But um, in the, the last part of the series that I did, I said this, that one out of every 16 verses in the New Testament is about the poor or money. And I think it's funny how much easier it is to talk about the poor than it is to talk about money. And uh, I used to find conversations like this really quite a challenge. That's partly because when I was younger, I had a slightly misplaced understanding in giving to the church and I got caught up in some of the cultural conversations around me that let my mind take me into a couple of places firstly I only gave what I had to but I was a bit short of money therefore less is more because I need more so therefore I give less that's kind of how I operated and how I thought. The second was this, I had a highly critical view of how the church should spend its money. When it came to me giving, I'd view it through the lens of what I thought or I saw the church leader and how he did and what he did with money. And um, what I therefore thought he did or didn't do with money affected what I did. But let's face it, if I'm really honest, that was my view. It was a very, very young, immature, narrow lens, and it was a very polarized lens. And um, I heard and I was probably quite significantly influenced by a few other people and some background conversations that can happen on these kind of things, and it influenced me. And I want to say, to you quite honestly for for my own discipleship and maturity I'm delighted to say that I dealt with a lot of that those two things in my early teens rather than it being with me now but also by the time we arrived in our previous church that we planted from I dealt with it and so being in that church that we were in previously prior to planting this one I had a much healthier mindset In in fact, I remember the first time we walked into that church and um, Steph and I walked in and you walked through the entrance and before getting to the refreshments area, you, you passed two fire exits and between those two fire exits, there was a little area where all their welcome resources were and before Steph and I even got to that, we'd said to each other, we need to find a way to give and we need to find a way to serve. And so on day one, we started giving, we set up a direct debit on that very day, and we also signed up to serving. If I'm honest with you, that simple decision had huge ramifications on our lives and on our discipleship. Those two decisions to serve and to give, weren't based on anything we'd seen or anything we knew about the church because we hadn't seen anything and we didn't know anything or anyone. Although being in the vineyard family of churches, you could say we kind of probably knew something of what awaited us. But our desire to give and to serve was based on the life and the teaching of Jesus and we wanted to align with that over and above anything else. Matthew 6 verse 21, where your treasure is, they're the desires of your heart will also be and that was significantly true and the case i think this is kind of a really big deal if i'm honest jesus made it clear that having the wrong treasure leads to our hearts being in the wrong place what we treasure the most controls us whether we admit it or not and so if possessions or money become too important to us we've got to re-establish control or get rid of some material items in our lives that are going to take control of us because Jesus calls for a decision to allow us to live in a way that we are content with whatever we have because we're choosing an eternal value over a temporary earthly treasure and we live in an incredibly consumer-based society consumerism is literally just unrestricted personal freedom and at a younger age, money for me was was mine. So I earned it, so I spent it. And I considered giving very much through the lens, giving to the church very through, much through the lens of minimum. I also weighed up, if I'm really honest, how much I thought something was worth. So, the, I mean, the refreshments were okay, but they weren't, you know, they weren't like, it wasn't all that. And... Um, this this actually I wrote this in my talk, but I didn't know I'd now be in this situation. But the the, the building we used to meet in was really cold, <laughs> and now I'm like, well, <laughs> 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 oh, like it's cold, isn't it was cold, innit? So I would that would be reflecting in my giving. So I'd be like, oh, probably about thirty-five quid a month. Because, I mean, that's like a tank of fuel. It was a tank of fuel. I wish that was a tank of fuel now. But it's like, you know, that's, that's how my mind would work. And now, if I'm really honest, it feels a bit embarrassing to say all of that to you. Partly because it's a reflection of how little I understood of the generosity of God. I used to feel quite uncomfortable talking about this kind of thing with you. Because what you could do is you could see people's frustration levels rising. How dare you advise me on how to spend or use my money? I think I could almost say anything else in an easier way. Not actually everything because there's, there's certain things. But but when I chat about money, not, not money because money grabs us, doesn't it? Money really grabs us. I think there's pretty much anything else other than sex I could talk about. And and you wouldn't bat an eyelid. But right now, everybody's eye is on me. Nobody's looking left or right. Because it's like, talking about money. Don't look left or right. <laughs> and uh, what, what, about, what, like where I started, one in every 16 verses in the New Testament is about the poor on money. Matthew six twenty one: wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. I found how we go about this significantly affects how we serve the city which is why it's part of this series and I want to talk about it what i found really interesting is in the last three or four weeks here in this church as we've done this series about loving and having an outward heart for the city a number of you said to me paul when are you going to talk about money Don't you find that interesting? I think it's such a joy to see the heart of generosity that stirs in this community, particularly as we lean our hearts towards being outward focused. There's this deposit of compassion and the overflow of the understanding of the Father's heart that leads us towards a heart and a desire to step into something of generosity. Now, before I launch in, can I just say something that I think is really important but doesn't fit naturally anywhere in anything else that I'm going to say today? But I I think it's really right to say it, so I'm just going to bolt it in, but it's not going to fit. Is that okay? The The thing is this, Steph and I have absolutely no idea how much you give. I just want you to know that. I think it's really important for you and it's really important for us. We will not be swayed or influenced by what people give. We will lead the way that we believe the the Lord is calling us to lead and money will not influence any decisions that we make. I think that's really important for you because we're not measuring you. We're not judging you. I, I really hope we're not like that. Anyway, if I'm honest, but particularly in this sensitive area, we are nowhere near the detail for your sake and for for ours. Also, in fact, if you're not a leader in the life of the church, we also have absolutely no idea whether you give or not. We chose to know when raising a leader in the life of the church that they're giving. We do that for a few reasons, but we we believe it's important and it's an important indicator in and of discipleship and the active ownership of the vision and the culture of the church. That said, even if you're a leader, we don't know the amount you give and if I'm really honest, we really don't want to know. I think that's important for us and it's important for you. So all of that said, if you feel a degree of conviction through what I'm saying today, maybe it's the Lord because I'm not targeting you. We don't do that anyway. I'd never do that. I think it's, well, let's not even talk about it, but it's a dangerous thing to do. But if you feel condemnation, again, I just want to say I'm not targeting you. I have no idea about your giving. That is really between you and the Lord. But sometimes he offends our minds to reveal our hearts. And he did with me, if I'm honest, when I wrote this. Because my desire today is to stir in you generosity that is the Lord. Steph and I often chat about how we can personally and how we as a church can be more generously. Because ultimately generosity is a characteristic of the Lord and we want to reflect and become more like him. So with, with that backdrop, if that's okay, I just want to share a few reflections. And the first is this. We want to be an externally focused church. To do that, we need to be internally strong. I've used that theme and that language, I think, throughout this series, but when it comes to expressing generosity to the city, it's no different. You know, we have and we will, and we will keep doing so and being so. I find it fascinating that when we embarked on the the journey together of 422, we asked some of you who were with us at that time for some seed money. We asked you to stand with us in faith for for about £150,000 on top of your regular tithes and offerings, you generously in five weeks gave over £200,000. Phenomenal generosity to the city. That has very little benefit to us as a church. It was to serve the city. That seed money will have multiplied about ten times by the time it lands. Don't you find that fascinating? Not seven times, not Fifteen times, but ten times you give in faith, we trust God, we can 't outgive God, and we trust that He pays for the thing that He orders, and the end figure will be around about ten times of what you gave. How remarkably symbolic you know we have to keep being externally focused and trusting God as a church from from day one, we made co- a commitment that we would give away fifteen percent of everything that comes in to the church we would give away to, to things that don't directly benefit the church it wasn't 10% because that would have felt a bit legalistic we wanted to be generous we wanted to, to stretch us and stretch ourselves we wanted to give more anyway the pandemic hit and we knew that it was going to be a significant final financial test for the church so what do we do Do we hunker down? Do we strip back? Do we alter and reduce that 10%? No, because we step into generosity, we want to reflect the generosity of the Lord. So in the first few weeks of the pandemic, we upped what we gave as a church to the things that don't directly benefit us from 15% to 20%. Now, there's no two ways about it. That has and that will stretch us. But we prioritise our priorities. We lean into meeting need. We lean into serving the poor. We lean into generosity that is led by faith rather than fear. Another example would be that throughout the pandemic, we continued to give our rent or part of our rent to this school. We weren't meeting here, they weren't giving us or giving us the offer and provision of this building, but we wanted to continue to lean into the needs, to meet the poor, to allow them to do some things, serving the children in this school that they wouldn't otherwise been able to do. And we gave, I think, initially it was about £2,500. We want to be led by faith rather than fear. Now, all of that said, and with that backdrop, we do have to be careful we want to be internally strong, we want to try and facilitate the people of God collectively coming together, being healthy, having healthy small groups, having healthy relationships, healthy discipleship and I feel like right now as a church we're hitting a few growing pains. We generally are heavily reliant on volunteers but at times wisely and sensibly we we have to staff around certain functions and we want to do that well, we don't want to pay people a wage that isn't reasonable just because it's the church or like just pay them a bit of a mickey mouse wage i often look at people and think they're actually giving unbelievable time and energy and making remarkable sacrifices and just because we lean towards serving the city shouldn't actually come as at the neglect or oversight of being inwardly strong and allowing ourselves to function and function well even by Being inwardly strong, it actually facilitates us being outwardly focused because that's ultimately how we're wired. And there's a few things I would say currently that Steph and I have wanted to do to serve this city and serve the movement, but it would take an uplift. It would take an uplift in a number of things. There'd be a few, you know, five grand here, five grand there kind of things. Many of the things we're doing. And trying to do cost financially. You may not always see that or realise that. I think when we were in our previous venue, so it would be significantly more now that we meet here, I think they worked it out that it cost about £7 per chair per Sunday. Once you account for all the other things that you have to factor in. The reality is now it would be way more than that with all that we're doing and all that we're hoping to do. But the backdrop is this. We are... And we will always have a significant lean towards this city. Our first and our only current full-time member of the team is actually city reaching. It's a city reaching role that has very little benefit or overflow to the church. We prioritise the needs of serving the city. So the first thing to say is this, externally focused but inwardly strong. The second one is, is, is kind of this. I want to say we don't give to get but we do get to give. I think it's really important. We don't give to get, but we do get to give. Let me just read this to you. Luke 6, 38 says this. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now that verse and other verses similar to it, can often be misrepresented in the context of what I'm talking about today. Give and you will get. Give something and you're going to get something back. Actually, the passage is talking more about judging and forgiving others that what you what you sow is the thing that you're going to reap. If we treat people generously and compassionately and, and graciously, those qualities are going to come back to you in full measure. We don't give to get particularly financially we don't give because humanly it makes sense I don't give because oh some days I really feel like giving because if I did that some days I may really feel like not giving we give out of obedience we give as a response to the generosity that God has given to us and shown to us we give as an act of worship the fact that we get to give and I want to remind us of this is actually phenomenal because it's of and it's of an overflow of heart. You know, some of the financially hardest times and seasons that we face personally, we've given and we've prioritised giving over other things. Now, I want to say we have certainly, without doubt, got back. But those things that we've got back has been found in the blessing and obedience of giving. It's been intimacy, with the father that comes through an open-handed stewardship. It's been the reality and the realization in our lives that stuff, like money and all of that kind of thing, is, is not ours, it's his. We're only giving back to him what he's given and therefore we're recognizing him and aligning him and prioritizing him as the source. And we're also only giving a portion of his absolute unbelievable extravagance. Now, all of that said, God's economy is fascinating. I'm, I'm not sure I could fully explain it to you in the time we've got, but we have never given to get, but sometimes there has just been this thing that I've got to say is really just a little bit unexplainable. It's not hard to put in a box and say, well, here it is. I can explain it to you. But I think I've shared with this with with some of you before, that when we did the giving for 422, we knew that we had to go all in. One, because we wanted to go all in, but also it's a spiritual thing. Now, I don't want to share amounts because it's not helpful in any way, but I want to share heart. It's not equal amount, it's equal sacrifice. And so we knew that it would affect us in terms of some of the decisions that we were going to be able to make. Holidays and things like that may have to be altered, some of our decisions. Holidays are such a precious thing for us as a family. And also at that exact point, we knew that our car was about to die, and we'd started to make a little bit of saving towards it. And our thinking was kind of this, sack all of that, this is a kingdom thing, let's just go all in. And so it's kind of living out that verse, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And we were like, we just want Jesus. That's all we want. I don't need a car and I don't need a holiday, but I do want more of Jesus. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured over into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I just want Jesus. Get me out of the way and all of the stuff that I think is of value and allow me to see and have and know more of Jesus. Anyway, we gave... And we didn't do so reluctantly, we didn't do so begrudgingly, we didn't have this little pain in our heart. You know, of course there was personal sacrifice, but there wasn't like a reluctance in our giving. Oh no, this is going to be no holiday, all of that kind of thing. Anyway, we gave and a little while after, someone very randomly that we hadn't spoken to in many years who didn't know any of this, didn't know anything about 422, didn't know anything about the car bit, none of that. Phones me up and he says, I'd like to give you some money for a car. Now, my response probably wasn't actually the best response, but I, I, I said, I'm really sorry, I don't know what to say. And then for the rest of the phone call, I didn't even manage to say goodbye, I just cried. Which probably <laughs> wasn't ideal for their sake, and I kind of had to follow it up after. But it was it was one of those moments of like, I don't know what to say now to be if I'm honest. What? He's done it again. Now, don't get me wrong, we never give to get, we never have and we never will. But the Lord is so kind. He's so kind. Sometimes it stretches and it pushes our faith to actually press into the things of the kingdom to then realise it's all his. And he does with it what he likes. Often we have to take steps of faith. We've always found a return. It's not always been money. And we're not aiming for money. But it's always been a heart thing that has significantly changed and transformed something of our faith. It's always been his presence. We've always had more of his presence. When I left the fire service, we took a crazy pay cut to do it. When I left working for the the mission organisation that I worked for prior to working for the previous church we were on staff with, we took a frightening pay cut, if I'm honest with you. Money is never the choice. Money is never the lean or the direction. Kingdom is always the choice. And somehow in the mix of that, We've had the joy of seeing the miracle in the mystery. It's grown our faith, it's increased our faith. And it's slightly bizarre. Here I am telling you that we don't give to get and I'm telling you a story about getting. Why am I doing that? Because I don't really understand it. It's the kingdom, it's God's economy. It's not straightforward. We can't out give him. We don't give to get money but somehow when we trust him with everything we have... It's different to human explanation and human reality. We don't give to get, but we do get to give, and it changes us. In the process, we reflect him and we become more like him. The The third thing is this. It's not yours anyway, it's his. It's, I, just, I tell myself that every day in this consumer-minded society. It's so easy to get trapped in this one. I've found it regularly. God, you can have. Have you ever done that? You, even subconsciously. God, you can have my time. You can have s- some of my life choices. But money, <laughs> that's mine. You know, well, we're, we're, we're kind of. Because he lets you have it in the first place. But the, the reality is it's, it's not yours. It's all his. Now, sometimes we have this 10% mentality. I don't know if any of you have ever had that. He, he can have 10% if he's lucky, Sorry, I'm not trying to be blasphemous. I just think that's speaking into the reality where sometimes we, land, we end up. It's like, you can You can have 10%. Actually, in the West, research shows that um, giving on average is actually 4%. Isn't that fascinating? Imagine if the Western church gave 10% what the church would look like and what the Lord might do. Anyway, we'd probably digress with that. But I often see it the other way around. Goodness me, he lets me keep 90%. And actually, we have to be really careful with what we do with that 90%, because it can very quickly start to control and dictate us. It's mine. Well, is it just, it's not really. It's his anyway. 10% anyway is a really interesting conversation, and I've probably offended a lot of you by saying that. How can you say 10%? Well, firstly, let me say a few things. Firstly, I think it's really helpful to have a guide. I think the Bible gives a guide on loads of things. Some of them actually really offend us, particularly money. It feels that area is prickly to us. Now, we could say, well, it's grace, not law, so let's not be legalistic. Yeah, I probably agree, actually. We'll come to why, but let me me say if we look at the Old Testament, 10% I think is a no-brainer. We could probably say that, and many of us would agree on it. Let me just read it to you, or at least one of the passages that would say something around it. Malachi 3. Verse 8 it says this, should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me you are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple if you do says the lord of heaven's armies i will open the window of heaven for you i will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to to take it in try it Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from the insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You know, the word tithe literally means tenth part or or one-tenth. You can't tithe 2% of your income. Well, you could if you only earned a few hundred pounds a week if your income is more than a couple of hundred quid, two two percent is not it's not a tithe. The call to tithe, the call to give one tenth of one income to God is mentioned thirty two times in the Old Testament. So, we could say it's an Old Testament thing, and it definitely clearly is. There's indicators of that. We first read of the tithe, the tenth part in Genesis 14. Before the institution of the Old Covenant, Abraham gives one tenth of his spoils of war to Melchizedek, who was the priest of the Most High God. Abraham gives Melchizedek his tenth of the spoils in recognition that Abraham's military victory wasn't achieved by his strength alone, but by God's power. Abraham is a man who recognizes that he is utterly dependent on the Lord for all of his success. Now, the passage in Malachi, I think, is fascinating because when they gave him less than the whole tithe, when they gave him whatever that might have been, 2%, 5%, 7%, they were robbing him. Like, I'm reading that and I'm like, Wow. We talk about turning people's accusations on its head. The people were saying, you're God, you're holding back from us. And God saying, no, you've held back from me. It's you who haven't kept your end of the covenant bargain. I saved you. I gave you blessing. You're mine as a king. And 10th of everything belongs to me. And you've been holding back. What You you give me almost whatever's in your wallet. You give me the leftovers from paying your bills. You buy everything you need and then give me whatever's left. I want the whole tithe. Now, some people would say that the storehouse equals the church and they teach storehouse tithing. I, I personally think that's a bit of a stretch to call the local church the storehouse of heaven. But the, the reason... I believe, and I I say this personally, you've got to work this out personally, I would say this personally, I believe that the, the local church is to be given the whole tithe and offering above other things, above other Christian organizations, above giving to the poor, above giving to need in your small group, because I believe that the New Testament teaches that the local church is the fundamental agent of the kingdom of God in this world. And that the centre of God's plan in reaching the world is the local church. And the local church ought to be the very centre, therefore, of our giving. But beyond that, of course we give offerings. Of course our generosity doesn't stop at ten percent. Let me let me just explain that in a bit more detail and chuck something out with you around the ten percent. I don't let me just throw out the ten percent argument just for a moment. Now, I don't actually believe that, but I just want to allow you to see it from another way. If we were to say, I believe that under the new covenant, we ought to give as the Spirit of God leads us, I have no difficulty with that whatsoever. I actually completely agree. I think that is a really healthy interpretation of the Bible. But my question to you would be this, how therefore will the Spirit of God lead you? Because let, let me f- just frame it this way as a picture for you. Imagine if you hire someone to mend a broken tile on your roof or to fix a leak in your bathroom and you agree a price. And, and you say, let's say you agree with that person that you're going to pay them the real living wage, which currently I think as of last Monday's slight change was £9.90. Let's say they come and they do the job, but in addition to fixing the leak and mending the broken tile... They say, hey, I, I didn't just do what you asked, but I mended your car, I relayed your drive, I washed and ironed all of your clothes, and I cooked your tea. I mean, that would be a pretty good builder, but let's, <laughs> let's just go with it. And and you say, well, well, I wasn't expecting that. What do you want for all that you did today? And the person just says to you, will you give me whatever you feel led to give? Would you give them less than the £9.90 an hour that you agreed and the number of hours that it took them because I think the challenge of being spirit-led and having spirit-led freedom is that God has given us so much more than he ever gave to the children of Israel in the old covenant because we have his son and we have his son's life teaching and we have a record of the son's miracles in the new testament and we have the death of the son of god and we have his resurrection and we have the gift of the holy spirit and we have the assurance of eternal life and we have the blessing of the christian church and if i say i'm going to give as the spirit leads will the spirit lead me to give less than the jews were required to give under the old covenant let let me just this this kind of really hit me this week, but let me just roll back to something I said at the start, because I think this is really important. If if you feel conviction through that and through what I'm saying, I'm not targeting you and I'm not condemning you, I have no idea what you give, or even actually if you give. That's between you and the Lord. But my desire would be to stir you to generosity because that is the way of the Lord. And that is Again, something that stirred afresh in me this week because personally I would say this deeply convicts me because none of it is ours. All of it is his. Luke 17 verse 10. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Phenomenal. If the Spirit were to lead me, surely he'd lead me into generosity rather than into... Restriction. It's not ours, it's not yours, it's His. I think it's painful whenever we start to see it as ours. That's when the pain kicks in. That's the third thing. The fourth thing is this, the final thing God gave His Son. We can't outgive God, we can only respond. To his generosity. Giving is a kingdom thing. When we give, we do a kingdom thing. It extends the reign and rule in God because it's his thing. It's a kingdom thing. So when we do it, we see something of the kingdom extended. Now, at times, it's like with the car that kind of happened to us. It's a, it's not about a money thing, but we, we've seen it loads. We've just been blown away, like gobsmacked is probably the only word I can come up with, by the kindness of god or or actually not just even financially but the way people give of their time sometimes it's it's jaw-dropping it's almost actually a bit awkward at times it's utter extravagance but of course it's utter extravagance because it's a kingdom thing just for those of you who are maybe newer in the room this again it doesn't really fit anywhere but I just want to say this in partnership with our trustees Steph and I as the church leaders we have a number of safeguards in place we don't want to restrict the freedom of the spirit or people's hearts of generosity. but people don't give us money I think that's really important we say that if you're here for the first time I just want to make that abundantly clear we didn't lean on anyone to give us money for the car it wasn't actually anybody in this church. In fact, if it had have been somebody in this church, it would have been a trustee conversation, not an us conversation, because they have to approve it. We just don't work like that. I really want you to know: people don't give to me. People give to the glory of God through the work of His church. But my point really was this: have you ever received a gift where your response is just is to almost feel like you you, actually, you can't you can't give me that? that is that's just too much it's too it's too kind it's too generous of course it is of course it's too much because it reflects the generosity of the king of the kingdom that doesn't mean you shouldn't accept it and you know, i think that's also an important principle that you know the side note of when when we received the phone call about the gift of the money to replace our car i think we did have a choice to accept it or reject it This person had clearly been led or prompted by the Lord to to give. How else would they have known that we had that need or even the need in that moment? God wanted to bless us through their generosity and we gratefully and tearfully accepted it. But it's really important that we're cheerful givers but also that we're cheerful receivers. Allowing others to step into the joy and, and the kingdom act of generosity there was there was part of us, if I'm honest, that was actually really quite hesitant to receive it because we'd committed in our hearts to go without and we'd also told all of you that that was our plan and yet here beyond all human logic, we were being blessed beyond anything I could explain. But anyway, th- th- let me just go back to the point. He gave everything. That's the point. He gave his one and only son. The first many of you will know so easily John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that ever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life God gave God is a giving God he gives he gives so much he, he he's generous he's extravagant and our giving should be extravagant it should actually almost be awkward in its generosity one interpretation of the Bible theme on generosity is that it's almost hilariously generous is is almost funny it's so much it's so extravagant and our heart is to release back to god what is already his in the first place but also what is already his in the church which in turn should release the church to release what is already his in the city and for the city does that make sense i think there's four things externally focused inwardly strong we don't give to get but we do get to give it's not yours it's not mine it's his in the first place and God gave God gave his son can I give you as I would any other week but this week probably feels slightly more intrusive and offensive just a few next steps to be generous not reluctant some of you you're going to need to think about this I had to think about it again this week as I reflected on it some of you that will mean setting up a direct debit it will mean altering a direct debit We'll get changes in our circumstances, slight pay rises. We should reflect that rather than leave something fixed, I believe. I constantly weigh it and reflect on what it is to be generous. If you don't yet give, I want to encourage you to start giving. It's a significant part of your discipleship. Direct debit allows us to budget, but it also frees us as a church and frees you from paying fees. There's some little forms on the seat that may help you understand how to do that i also just want to say this though it's deliberately slightly hidden here how to do it not because we're trying to deceive you but because we don't want it to get in the way of your heart and love and finding jesus you may find it's not the easiest thing to find on the website or on the app it's not a regular regular conversation i think i give this talk maybe once a year actually i think there's a little there's a little photo that we could just show I did some research on how other churches do it. I found this. If you really love God, share with your money. We do not have that sign out the front and we never will. But you know, if if you um, if you give and you haven't yet filled in a gift aid form, that would significantly increase what you give by twenty five percent at no cost to you. That is huge. just a bit of detail on that. Between April and October this year, we have £7,281.23 that is not claimable because people haven't filled out gift aid forms. Now, obviously, a number of people will not pay tax. Also, there will be some that give through the payroll, so their gift can't actually be gift aid claimed. But that is a staggering amount of money. We can also backdate gift aid by four years um, over donation so if, if you can and you haven't can I encourage you to fill out a gift aid form you can do it on um, the app and the website but mvuk.org forward slash gift aid is, is a way to do it but what's all of this got to do with being externally focused well the the more we get this the more we step into this the more it will release something spiritually over us that will allow us to practically and financially as a people be generous To this city. We serve a generous God who calls us to be generous people. And as a church, this means that we give financially to provide the church with the resources that we need to do things well. It also enables us to show God's generosity significantly to those outside of the gathered church community. We give as an act of worship, not as an obligation or guilt, but as an overflow of our hearts. Let me just finish by reading this it says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 it says remember this a farmer plants only sorry a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop you must each decide in your own heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the only one who provides the seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I, w- I want to pray he provides any increase and he sows a seed of generosity in each of us. But let me also say this, thank you for all you do. Thank you for all you give. Yes, of course, Time. And heart and hunger and desperation, but also financially to steward the resources that he has entrusted you with for the advancement of his church, for the extension of his kingdom in this church, but in this city and therefore much further afield. To God be the glory, what he's able to do through your faithfulness in that. He's a multiplier, he always has and he always will be. Why don't we just stand together as we take a moment to reflect? Thanks for listening. To find out more head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.